Good evening, my darlings. Welcome to Marley's Ghosts. It's time for another Dread Time story. Now get yourselves all tucked in. Ready? Good. Let's begin. Tonight's story is The Adventure of the German Student by Washington Irving. On a stormy night in the tempestuous times of the French Revolution, a young German was returning to his lodgings at a late hour across the old part of Paris. The lightning gleamed and the loud claps of thunder rattled through the lofty, narrow streets. But I should first tell you something about this young German. Gottfried Wolfgang was a young man of good family. He had studied for some time at Göttingen, but being of a visionary and enthusiastic character, he had wandered into those wild and speculative doctrines which had so often bewildered German students. His secluded life, his intense application, and the singular nature of his studies had an effect on both mind and body. His health was impaired. His imagination deceased. He had been indulging in fanciful speculations on spiritual essences until, like Swedenborg, he had an ideal world of his own around him. He took up a notion, I do not know from what cause, that there was an evil influence hanging over him, an evil genius or spirit seeking to ensnare him and ensure his perdition. Such an idea working on his melancholy temperament produced the most gloomy effects. He became haggard and desponding. His friends discovered the mental malady preying upon him and determined that the best cure was a change of scene. He was sent, therefore, to finish his studies amidst the splendors and gaieties of Paris. Wolfgang arrived at Paris at the breaking out of the revolution. The popular delirium at first caught his enthusiastic mind, and he was captivated by the political and philosophical theories of the day. But the scenes of blood which followed shocked his sensitive nature, disgusted him with society and the world, and made him more than ever a recluse. He shut himself up in a solitary apartment, there in a gloomy street not far from the monastic walls of the Sorbonne. He pursued his favorite speculations. Sometimes he spent hours together in the great libraries of Paris, those catacombs of departed authors, rummaging about their hordes of dusty and obsolete works in a quest of food for his unhealthy appetite. He was, in a matter, a literary ghoul, feeding in the charnel house of decayed literature. Wolfgang, though solitary and recluse, was of an ardent temperament, for a time it operated merely upon his imagination. He was too shy and ignorant of the world to make any advances to the fair. But he was a passionate admirer of female beauty, and his lonely chamber would often lose himself in reveries on forms and faces which he had seen, and his fancy would deck out images of loveliness far surpassing the reality. While his mind was in this excited and sublimated state, a dream produced an extraordinary effect upon him. It was of a female face of transcendent beauty. So strong was the impression made that he dreamt of it again and again. It haunted his thoughts by day, his slumbers by night. 
In fine, he became passionately enamored of this shadow dream. This lasted so long that it became one of those fixed ideas which haunt the minds of melancholy men, and are at times mistaken for madness. Such was Godfrey Wolfgang, and such his situation at the time I mentioned. He was retaining home late one stormy night through some of the old gloomy streets of the Marais, the ancient part of Paris. The loud claps of thunder rattled among the high houses in the narrow streets. He came to the Place de Greve, the square where public executions were performed. As Wolfgang was crossing the square, he shrank back with horror at finding himself close by the guillotine. It was the height of the reign of terror when this dreadful instrument of death stood ever ready, and its scaffold was continually running with blood of the virtuous and the brave. It had that very day been actively employed in the work of carnage, and there it stood in grim array, amidst a silent and sleeping city waiting for fresh victims. Wolfgang's heart sickened within him, and he was turning juddering from the horrible engine when he beheld a shadowy form, cowering as if it were at the foot of the steps which led up to the scaffold. A succession of vivid flashes of lightning revealed it more distinctly. It was a female figure, dressed in black. She was seated on one of the lower steps of the scaffold, leaning forward, her face hid in her lap, and her long, disheveled tresses hanging to the ground, streaming with the rain which fell in torrents. Wolfgang paused. There was something awful in this solitary moment of woe. The female had the appearance of being above the common order. He knew the times to be full of vicissitudes, and that many a fair head which had been once pillowed on down now wandered homeless. Perhaps this was some poor mourner whom the dreadful axe had rendered desolate, who sat here broken-hearted on the strand of existence for which all that was dear to her had been launched into eternity. He approached and addressed her in the accents of sympathy. She raised her head and gazed wildly at him. What his astonishment at beholding, by the bright glare of lightning, the very face which had haunted him in his dreams! It was pale, but ravishingly beautiful. Trembling with violent and conflicting emotions, Wolfgang accosted her. He spoke something of her being exposed at such an hour of the night and to the fury of such a form and offered to conduct her to her friends. She pointed to the guillotine. I have no friends on earth, she said. But you have a home, said Wolfgang. Yes, in the grave. The heart of the student melted at the words. If a stranger may dare make an offer, he said, without danger of being misunderstood, I would offer my humble dwelling as shelter, myself as a devoted friend. I am friendless myself in Paris, and a stranger in the land. But if my life could be of service, it is at your disposal, and should be sacrificed before harm or indignity should come to you. There was an honest earnestness in the young man's manner that had its effect. His foreign accent, too, was in his favor. 
it showed him not to be a hackneyed inhabitant of Paris. Indeed, there is an eloquence in true enthusiasm that is not to be doubted. The homeless stranger confided herself implicitly to the protection of the student. He supported her faltering steps across the Pont Neuf, and by the place where the statue of Henry the Fourth had been overthrown by the populace. The storm had abated, and the thunder rumbled at a distance. All Paris was quiet. The great volcano of human passion slumbered for a while to gather fresh strength for the next day's eruption. The student conducted his charge through the ancient streets and by the dusky walls of the Sorbonne to the great dingy hotel which he inhabited. The old portress who admitted them stared with surprise at the unusual sight of the melancholy Wolfgang with a female companion. On entering his apartment, the student, for the first time, blushed at the scantiness and indifference of his dwelling. He had but one chamber, an old-fashioned saloon, heavily carved and fantastically furnished with the remains of former magnificence for it was one of those hotels in the quarter of Luxembourg Palace which had once belonged to nobility. It was lumbered with books and papers and all the usual apparatus of a student, and his bed stood in a recess at one end. When lights were brought, and Wolfgang had a better opportunity of contemplating the stranger, he was more than ever intoxicated by her beauty. Her face was pale, but of a dazzling fairness, set off by a profusion of raven hair that hung clustering about her. Her eyes were large and brilliant, with a singular expression approaching almost wildness. As far as her black dress permitted, her shape seemed to be, it was of perfect symmetry. Her whole appearance was highly striking, though she was dressed in the simplest of styles. The only thing approaching to an ornament which she wore was a broad black band around her neck, clasped by diamonds. The perplexity now commenced with the student how to dispose of the helpless being thrown upon his protection. He thought of abandoning his chamber to her, of seeking shelter for himself elsewhere. Still, he was so fascinated by her charms that there seemed to be a spell upon his thoughts and senses that he could not tear himself from her presence. Her manner, too, was singular and unaccountable. She spoke no more of the guillotine. Her grief had abated. The attentions of the student had won her confidence, and then, apparently, her heart. She was evidently an enthusiast like himself, and enthusiasts soon understood each other. In the infatuation of the moment, Wolfgang avowed his passion for her. He told her the story of his mysterious dream, and how she had possessed his heart before he had ever seen her. She was strangely affected by his recital, and acknowledged to have felt an impulse towards him equally unaccountable. It was the time for wild theory and wild actions. Old prejudices and superstitions were done away. Everything was under the sway of the goddess of reason. Among other rubbish of the old times, the forms and ceremonies of marriage began to be considered superfluous bonds for honorable minds. Social compacts were the vogue. Wolfgang was too much of a theorist not to be tainted by the liberal doctrines of the day. Why should we separate, he said. Our hearts are united in the eye of reason and honor. We are as one. 
What need is there of sordid forms to bind high souls together? The stranger listened with emotion. She had evidently received illumination at the same school. You have no family, no home, he continued. Let me be everything to you, or rather let us be everything to one another. If form is necessary, form shall be observed. There is my hand. I pledge myself to you for ever. For ever? said the stranger solemnly. For ever, repeated Wolfgang. The stranger clasped the hand extended to her. Then I am yours, she murmured, and sank upon his bosom. The next morning the student left his bride sleeping and sallied forth at an early hour to seek more spacious apartments suitable to the change in his situation. When he returned, he found the stranger lying with her head hanging over the bed and one arm thrown over it. He spoke to her but received no reply. He advanced to awaken her from her uneasy posture. On taking her hand, it was cold. There was no pulsation. Her face was pallid and ghastly. In a word, she was a corpse. Horrified and frantic, he alarmed the house. A scene of confusion ensued. The police were summoned. As the officer of police entered the room, he started back on beholding the corpse. Great heaven, he said. How did this woman come here? Do you know anything about her? said Wolfgang eagerly. Do I? exclaimed the police officer. She was guillotined yesterday. He stepped forward, undid the black collar around the neck of the corpse, and the head rolled on the floor. The student burst into a frenzy. The fiend, the fiend has gained possession of me, he shrieked. I am lost forever. They tried to soothe him, but in vain. He was possessed with the frightful belief that an evil spirit had reanimated the dead body to ensnare him. He went distracted and died in a madhouse. Here, the old gentleman telling the story with the haunted head finished his narrative. And is this really a fact? said the inquisitive gentleman. A fact not to be doubted, replied the other. I had it from the best authority. The student himself told me. I saw him in a madhouse in Paris. Thank you for listening to Marley's Ghosts with me, your ghostess, Deborah Marley. You can connect with me on Instagram at Marley's Ghosts and Twitter at Marley's Ghosts. Or Send me an email at Marley's Ghosts Podcast at gmail dot com. I love hearing from you. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support the show, visit my Patreon. We have lots of tiers and each with their own special treats. Also, rate and review so our community of dread time listeners can grow. Until next time, my darlings.